Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see uh, everyone here. Those of you joining us online, we welcome you. We are connected this morning um, beyond just physical distance. We are connected through the Spirit of God. And so we worship Him. Uh, today is a day where we are holding rejoicing and, and lament together. We're so thankful that God is with us, but we also acknowledge that it has been a challenge to uh, exist in the last year. And so we, we want to give voice to those things today, and we want to let our songs just pour out to God because He is listening, He is loving, and He is with us today. Where you are, let's stand. How about we sing a few songs of praise together? Blessed be your name in a land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on a road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Oh, you give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Blessed be your glorious name. Standing on this mountain top, looking just how far we come, knowing that for every step. You were with us, kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, Yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone, never once did you leave us on our own, you are faithful, God, you are battleground seeing just how much you've done knowing every victory was your power in us scars and struggles on the way but with joy our hearts can say yes our hearts can say never once did we ever walk alone? Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God, you are faithful. You are faithful, God, you are faithful. Scars and struggles on the but with joy our hearts can say Never once did we ever walk alone Carried by your constant grace Held within your perfect peace Never once did we ever walk alone Never once did we ever walk alone on our own. You are faithful, God, you are faithful. Evermore we are breathing in your grace. Evermore we'll be breathing out your praise. You are faithful, God, you Looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us. Amen. Be seated, please.
I want to welcome everyone to Sycamore View today. It's great to see those of you who are here in person and for all of you joining us uh, online today. Thank you for staying connected to us and for joining us this morning. This day is going to look a little different. It's going to feel a little different. This is a, a year since COVID and the pandemic shut so many things around us. It was March uh, 15th last year that it was the first Sunday we had where we did not have in-person church, where Kip and I showed up that morning and began doing things in front of a camera. And here we are a year later. And we wanted to have somewhat of a lament experience today. And lament may not be a word you use much to think about church or to think about God. And I think one of the best ways for you to think about the word lament or lamenting is it's holy hurt. And when the church comes together, what the church does, every Sunday when we come together, we are declaring hope in God. That is what we do. And there are days when we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And this is going to be a day where we're going to give voice to pain and hurt and grief. And we're going to do this with four different moves, four different ways we want to do this. And uh, so everyone who is here in person, on the, uh, the end of your pew, there should be note cards that are there. And there are enough for everyone to have a note card. They're blank note cards. There's nothing on them. So if you have a pen or a pencil, and you may choose to do this in, a, in your notes on your phone, those of you online, if you have a piece of paper, this morning we're going to take time where we're going to express things or people we have lost in the last year. We're going to take time to express emotions that have driven us over this past year. We're going to take time to express questions we have of God, of faith, and life. And lastly, we're going to take time to express radical trust in God today. And I'm going to use, we're going to use Matthew chapter 14 as our foundation, as our template. This is part of our Anchoring in the Storm series that is leading up to Easter Sunday. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open the Matthew chapter 14. Nothing's going to be on the screens today, uh, but I'm going to use Matthew 14 as a template to guide us uh, through this morning. Um, today's a journey. So as you can see on the stage, the praise team and Kip and myself, we're not going to leave the stage for a while. And we're going to be weaving in and out of songs, of teaching, of prayer, and at the end of each one of my teachings, I'm going to give you just a few moments of silence to write down uh, responses to certain questions and statements that I make. Uh, I invite all children to take part in this morning. If you can write, you can put things down. Anna has also provided activities for kids. It's right outside. There, there's some uh, activity sheets to help kids process lament. So it, here as we sing this next song, if you want to go out there and get one of those, you're welcome to. Let's settle in. And I believe that this is a day for healing and a day for unity in the life of our church. So let's sing this song together. I kneel now under I will be 
So the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to give space for you to express people and things or dreams that have been lost over the last year. I bet most of you can remember where you were when you first heard that almost everything around us was going to shut down or be suspended in some way. I was at a Grizzly game when I first got the message that the NBA, that they were shutting down for what we didn't know at that point would be a few months. I was sitting in Soulfish eating with a few friends when I kept going out to the parking lot to jump on a phone with Randy Frederick and with Jim Hinkle as decisions were made to suspend in-person church for that weekend and for the next few weeks. I bet you remember where you were. Some of you may remember the last restaurant you ate in. And here we are a year later. It was just over a year ago that I uh, was heading out to Washington, D.C. I was on an airplane, and I know there are a lot of crazy airplane stories I have, and I don't know if that's just because when I get on them, I'm looking for crazy stories or what. But I boarded a flight to go out to D.C. to speak at an event, and when I boarded the flight in Memphis, uh, it just happened that there was a, a Big Brother program. There were uh, about a dozen 18, 19-year-old college students who had mentors, and they were going on a spring break, uh, spring break trip. So it was a mentor-mentory relationship. They're going on this trip, and this young man, 18, 19-year-old, came and sat down next to me. He was next to the window. I was on the aisle. And as he sat down, I could tell immediately this guy has never flown before because he took his seatbelt, and he didn't know how to put it together. He just was like banging it, thinking it was a magnet or something. So I unhooked my seatbelt, and I walked him through how to put your seatbelt on the plane. And then as we took off, he was like a little kid. He's looking out the window, and he would elbow me, and he would be like, dude, you can see people down there. And he would elbow me. He's like, there's cars driving on the road. And he elbowed me again. And he's like, dude, you can see a football field. He was so excited. He had never flown before. And then he leaned back in his seat and he put one hand on his stomach. And he went, oh, no, oh, whoa, oh, no. Now, if you know, 
anything about me. Like one of my greatest phobias in life is throw up. And I'm not one of these people, and Kip, you know this about me. I'm not one of these people that if you throw up, I throw up. Is that if you throw up around me, I will punch you, push you, despise you for the rest of my life. Like, that's just how it goes. I'm better since I'm a dad. But I, I was like, dude, this ain't happening right now. And uh, so I, I grabbed the bag and I put it next to him. He's like, man, if you lose it, like, here's what you do. But look at me right now. And I, I'm not exaggerating this story. I, I was patting him on his leg a few times, like, to get his attention. I was like, dude, look at me. We're going to do this together. I'm going to show you how to breathe on a plane. Are you ready? And he had his hand on his stomach. And I was like, put your head back on your seat. So he followed it. Like, he did it. He put his head on his seat. And I said, take a deep breath with me. And together we took about five deep breaths. And he was fine for the rest of the flight. Now, here's what's so ironic. I was getting off that plane to go speak at an event in D.C. It's an East Coast conference. It brought churches together. And the event, the theme of the event was breathe. From Ezekiel chapter 37. Where it's this story about God putting all these bones back together. And then breath is so important to the story. And little did I know that I was entering into a season where I needed God almost every day to like pat me on the leg or hit me on the back or grab my face and turn it toward the face of God to say, I need you to breathe right now. Like you're going about life. You're in survival mode. You're working way too much. All right, I need you to remember who I am. Right now, I need you to breathe. Just breathe. In Matthew chapter 14, it begins with loss. And it's the loss of a life of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had, I mean, it was humiliation. Like he was, his head was cut off because John the Baptist challenged the leaders around him. He challenged the authorities and he challenged specifically on marriage. Like he was questioning Herod and this whole marriage and some things that had gone on in it. And then because of that, John the Baptist dies. In chapter 14, verse 12, it says that people went and they told Jesus about the death of John the Baptist. It's a story that begins with loss. Now imagine if you were Jesus and you hear the news that John the Baptist had died. This was a relative. Their moms were both pregnant at the same time. What we know in the Bible, they spent three months together as pregnant women. This is the man who baptized Jesus. They had this partnership in the kingdom of God. Jesus thought a lot of John the Baptist. And now it's not just that John the Baptist died. I'm sure there's a part of Jesus that, okay, he died that death by being beheaded. And and now what is in store for me? There was this moment of loss. Matthew 14 begins with loss and everything loss brings. All these questions that some of you have felt over this last year and throughout your life. Questions like, how do we move forward? And what does this mean? And how do I grieve? And who can I talk to about this? So I want you right now just to think, the last year of your life, what are some things or people you have lost? And some of you may not feel like you have lost much, but you don't have to go very far outside of your circle to know people who have lost a lot. We've lost people, dreams, plans. We've lost a sense of uh, feeling like we're in control. So I want to invite you right now, just on the index card, if you were to write, just expressing loss, what are some things you put on there? And at the end of the day, you may choose to take that index card home with you. You may choose to put it in a trash can, or you could put it in the basket to give us something maybe to read or pray over. And as you reflect on things you've lost, I want to tell you a quick story about Joseph Scriven. 
He's a man who lived in the 19th century, and he didn't find the Lord until he was a young adult. He didn't grow up going to church, and when he found the Lord, I mean, God took hold of this guy's heart. His heart just burned for God. In 1844, he was engaged to be married, fell in love with this woman, and the day before their wedding, the fiance, his fiance, was riding on a horse, and as she rode to, to see him, and as she was riding through a creek, she fell off the horse, hit her head on a rock, and knocked her out, and she ended up drowning in the creek. And Joseph would go on to say that through that experience, he learned how great of a comforter God is. He ended up moving from Dublin, Ireland. He moved to Canada, and quickly he earned the reputation of being the Good Samaritan of where he lived in Canada. He was always reaching out for people, uh, looking after people, and not only that, like he was really good uh, with his hands and building things, but he only wanted to build things for under-resourced people. And a decade later, he fell in love with a woman in Canada. In 1854, he falls in love again. Three weeks before that wedding, his fiance gets sick, has pneumonia, she dies. And you may be thinking, please tell me there's not a third fiance in this story. This is tragic. After the first fiance died, he would go on to say that that is when he learned that God is the great comforter. It was after his second fiance died that he would go on to say that that is when he learned that God was his friend. And he wrote a poem to send to his mom back in Dublin. And he didn't know when he wrote this poem that it would go on to be a song that we would sing 170 some odd years later. And it's a poem that goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I bet you've sung that song before, and I bet some of you had no clue that it was written out of a moment of deep loss and grief. So I want to invite you, just take about 10 seconds and just express what it is in your life that you feel like you have lost. And as we sing this song together, I just want you to think about this. That when it comes to God being our friend, this is not just something we want God to be for us. This is who God is for us. Let's sing together. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to
Let's talk for a moment about expressing emotion. So in chapter 14, verse 12, it says Jesus heard the news that John the Baptist had died. In verse 13, it says Jesus tried to withdraw. He did withdraw from the crowd. And this word withdraw in the Greek could also mean to retire or it is to take refuge. So when, uh, when you think about this word withdrawal, I don't want you having an image of Jesus going 50 yards away where he found some shade or a bench or a rock to sit on. It says Jesus withdrew by getting in a boat and getting away, which should tell you something about Jesus' like his emotional state. He has a moment where he's trying to get away from a crowd and a moment when he's trying to get away from some ministry responsibility. Because when we withdraw, when humans withdraw, we often do this because we need a space to like clear our mind or process a little bit of life or we're withdrawing because of sorrow in our heart. Like you have these places in your life too, right? Like, I mean, some of you, like the best you can do as parents is if you can just have 10 minutes to withdraw, you, you need to do it. Like where, where do you withdraw? Like there are times for me. Uh, where I want to withdraw, a lot of times when I come home from work, for me, when, uh, what is therapeutic is I like to work out. And this is not because I'm trying to be Mr. March in the next minister calendar that comes out. Or I know Kip has these aspirations about the, <laughs> the next worship, calendar, worship minister calendar, you know. Uh, it's not that. It's just a place of therapy for me. I can clear my head. I listen to podcasts. I can, I can worship. I can pray. It's just good for me. So when COVID shut things down a year ago, it just happened that that flight I was on out to D.C., I sat wrong or went to sleep wrong that I messed my back up for a few weeks. So here I was like in survival mode, calling people and doing FaceTimes with folks and checking on people and in all these meetings. And I, could, I, I didn't have like my form of therapy. My back had gone out a few weeks later. My back was fine. And then I sprained my ankle stepping off of a ladder outside 
Like if I, like if I hurt myself now, I want a story about like saving someone's life, you know, like going in a ditch with a burning car and not like stepping off of a ladder and I don't heal as quickly as I used to heal back in my teens or back in my 20s. I don't know for you when it comes to like you withdrawing, like what, what does that look like? A place where you clear your head, where you need space just to process a little bit of life. So for Jesus, he's withdrawing. Now, I want you to think about this. When we withdraw, when you withdraw from a little bit of life because you just need some space, you can withdraw from someone or something and or you can withdraw for someone or something. And if you're only withdrawing from someone or something, but there is no uh, work in your life to, res- to, to withdraw for someone or something, you can spiral into all kind of forms of depression and give into anxiety. Because I bet this has happened to a number of you over the last year, where the, over the last year you didn't make choices to withdraw from things. Withdrawing was forced upon us. And we withdrew from something... But if your affections and your attention and your face was not turned toward God as you withdrew, like just looking to God in some kind of way, like your your life could just spiral and you could get caught up in reading article after article. For Jesus, he is withdrawing from a crowd. He was withdrawing from some ministry responsibility, but he was withdrawing to be in the presence of God, his source of strength. It's withdrawing from and withdrawing for. Does that make sense? I think I asked people. Does that make sense? And now I'll put you in a really awkward position because if you said no, I was going to have to process this just a little more. But are you good? <laughs> withdrawing is what we do when you need space. Compassion is what happens when you are in that place where you withdrew. Yet you're overwhelmed by the presence of God. That compassion, compassion can still flow from those places. This is what happens to Jesus. Jesus withdrew, gets in a boat, goes to an isolated place, and then he opens his eyes, and there are thousands of people who were there. So even though Jesus had withdrawn to be with God, there's a bunch of people, and Jesus begins healing the sick, and then he feeds the hungry. Like, he heals the sick and then feeds the masses, which is an example to us that some of God's best work can come from places of pain and grief. And even when we withdraw, when we withdraw with God in mind, compassion and restoration can still flow from those places. And immediately after feeding the crowd and dismissing them, Jesus withdrew again. And by doing this, he sent the disciples out on a boat and he goes up on a mountain to pray. And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I hope you hear from God today when it comes to you taking some time in your life to withdraw. Withdrawing is not a bad thing. You don't need to feel guilty about it. When you withdraw from life and sometimes even a little bit withdrawing from relationships because you need just a little bit of space. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. It may mean you have strong faith. And it's the place where emotions are raw, where emotions can be expressed, where emotions can be dealt with, and when God receives it all. So I want to invite you in just about 10 seconds of silence to just to express, to write out what are some of the emotions that have driven you, whether good or bad, over the past year of your life.
As we sing this next song, I just want you to think about this. For hours, Jesus went to this place where he withdrew, and God held Jesus for hours in that place. And that same God is willing to hold you to. to take a moment to express questions. And as we think about expressing questions, I want to begin by painting two different scenes for you from Matthew chapter 14. And here's scene number one. Scene number one is Jesus goes upon the side of a mountain, up on a hill to pray. And as he is up there praying, all of his apostles are in a boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake. And they're out in the middle of it, and there's a storm. So they're in a storm being battered by the waves. That's what the Bible tells you. They're being battered by the waves, and Jesus is up on a hill praying. I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and I can visualize this, where Jesus is up praying on a hill, and where he was, there is no way that Jesus could have looked out over that lake and not to have known that there is a massive storm and that his followers are in it. There's no way he could have that like there's no way he could have looked out on the lake and have not seen and heard a storm that is there. 
Now, the way the Bible tells this story is Jesus sent them out on the boat during the first watch of the night, which would have been between 6 and 9 p.m. And then the Bible tells you that Jesus walked out on the water in the fourth watch of the night, which would have been between 3 and 6 a.m., which means that Jesus is up there praying while they are out there in the water in a storm for anywhere from 6 to 12 hours. That's scene number one. Scene number two is this. The disciples are in a boat. They're being battered by the waves. They're in the middle of a storm. And then they look out and they can see what seems to be a ghost. Because who would have thought that any human being could walk on water, but there's Jesus. Now, uh, you've probably, at some point in your life, you've had to stand in a storm with someone else. And if you're standing out in the middle of a big storm, it's really hard to have conversations unless you were somewhat close to people. So the way I visualize this isn't that Jesus is 100 yards away, because if there's a conversation happening, they had to be at least within proximity where they could hear each other. And the way the conversation goes is, they're like, uh, are you a ghost? And Jesus is like, no, it's me, Jesus. And then Peter's like, uh, yeah, right. Like, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus is like, it's me, come to me. And this, the Bible doesn't tell you this, but Peter's response was, dude, I was just joking. Like, y'all knew I was, everybody on the boat, y'all knew I was just joking, right? I, I didn't really mean, like, if it's you, tell me to walk out to you. Jesus says, walk out to me. And Peter begins to walk. And as he's walking, he's distracted by the waves. He begins to sink. It says, Jesus reached out his hand and Jesus caught him. That's scene number two. Scene number one is people were in a storm, and Jesus was miles away. And it felt like God wasn't anywhere near them, and they thought they were going to die. Scene number two is they knew that Jesus was so close, yet Peter still begins to sink. And there have probably been moments in your life over the last year or in your life, even beyond the last year, where you have felt like you have been in a storm and you don't know if God is anywhere close to you. It just doesn't feel like God is anywhere near. And there have been times in your life when you were in a storm in your life and you know God is near, yet you still seem like, you, you feel like you were sinking anyway. And God is right there by you. It's in places like this that all these questions can come to us. Questions like, how did I even get in this storm? How did all this happen? Where did the storm come from? What responsibility do I have? God, where were you? Or God, where are you? You know, for me in my life, I feel like I've been fair, uh, fairly transparent with this church. Like, I, I haven't been through seasons in my life when I have questioned, questioned the existence of God. I know some people have. But I've been, been through seasons in my life where I've questioned the intervention of God. Like, when does God step into something and perform God's miraculous wonders? And when does it feel like God just keeps his hands off? The first book I wrote back in 2013 called Scarred, called Scarred Faith didn't begin with me thinking about publication. It began with me walking through a season of Lent up to Easter, uh, having six to seven weeks where I felt like God invited me into a season to journal. And in my journaling, it was to ask any question I had of God and just lay out every emotion I was feeling. This was about a year after my sister died. So before I even started writing, I listed all these questions I had about God and about faith and about life. And then I listed all these emotions 
that I had. And then for the next six to seven weeks, I took time where I processed those. And not only processed them, I felt like in the very beginning, God gave me an invitation and permission. I want you to ask any question you have. I want you to lay out every emotion in the trust that my grace can hold you through this whole thing. And it taught me that if God really is a loving father and a loving parent, what good parent won't let their kids come to them with any emotion and any question they have? It's one of the things that makes God so good. And when it comes to asking questions, Jesus models this. We're on the cross. Jesus prayed the prayer from Psalm chapter 22, verse 1, of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is even questioning things. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? So now in this place, I want to give you just a few moments to express what questions do you have of God, of faith, of life, of relationships? What questions do you need to lay before God, trusting that God's grace can hold you through it? And take a few moments to write those down. Feel free to keep writing as the praise team leads this song. And just know this, that through all of our questions, all of our emotions, God can hold us through it all, even when the waves are crashing in, even when it feels like we are in over our heads. From the depths of my soul I cry out. From the depths of my soul I cry out, Lord, can you hear me? Have mercy, O God. From the depths of my soul I cry out, in the midst of the sea I cry out, in the midst of the sea I cry out. of the sea I cry out.
From the depths of my soul I cry out. From the depths of my soul I cry out. Still I will praise you, Lord. Still I will praise you, Lord. We've expressed loss, we've expressed emotions, we've expressed questions, and now. I want us to take a few minutes to express radical trust. I love this moment in the story when Peter's sinking. It says Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And some of you know those moments in your life when Jesus has done the same thing for you. When you were falling, you were sinking, and the hand of God reached out and caught you. And when this happened, Jesus asked Peter, he said, you know, they were like, why such little faith, man? Why did you doubt? And then the next verse, all it says is, when they got back into the boat, the wind ceased. And I've loved this for years. This is a verse that has so impacted my life. that, And, and we're left just to kind of fill in the blanks here. Because it says it's not until they got into the boat that the, the wind ceased. Jesus could have calmed the waves and then it made a really easy path for Jesus and Peter to get back to the boat. But instead, somehow together, Jesus and Peter walk over and through the storms, over and through the waves to get into the boat. When they're in the boat, the wind ceased. The storm is lifted. What do you do in your life when the storms of life are lifted? What are you going to do when the storm of the pandemic is lifted? When the storm of the pandemic is lifted, I, I mean, I can't wait to be back in the FedEx Forum with a place full of fans cheering on the Grizzlies. I, I can't wait to go to a concert again, and I don't even care what genre of music it is. Maybe, maybe there are some I don't, I don't want to be there for, but I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to hug strangers and to hug Terry Miller every Sunday morning <laughs> and every Monday in staff meeting. Uh, to, uh, I hug cowboy fans in Kroger just because we need each other in times like this. I, I'm ready to eat after people, which I don't even do all the time. Just what are you going to do? Like when the pandemic is lifted, what are you going to do? When the storms of life are lifted, and when the storm of, in Matthew 14 is lifted, they worship. And in the public ministry of Jesus, this is the only full-blown worshiping Jesus that you see. In the public ministry of Jesus. Now you have healings where Jesus would heal people and then they would like fall down before Jesus. But this is a moment when like praise and worship is pointed directly to Jesus. Because these disciples know right now in this place. Because this is the one who conquered the storm. This is God. This is the king of kings. The storm they had been in had lasted about six hours. Maybe twelve hours. But every single person in that boat, were gonna, they were going to face many more storms in their life for the years to come. And today, God may not protect you from every storm, but God's not going to leave you alone while you are in them. And there are going to be moments when God's going to come and God's going to calm the storms in your life. And there are going to be moments when you're going to be in a storm and God's going to come and you're going to know God is there, but the storm's going to keep coming and what you have is the awareness of the presence of God that will not leave you alone. And I think we can also know, like you know, over the last 12 months, and maybe beyond 12 months, there have been so many moments that just like Peter, we have been distracted. 
one more CDC report, and then that leads to you reading something else. And then there's some kind of, uh, is it fake news or is it real news? And how do you know what's true and how do you know what's not true? And you're reading one article and scrolling through social media to see what's, uh, what's opening and what's closed and what are the mandates. And then we're pulled into social wars and cultural wars and winds and waves are all around us. And Jesus keeps yelling at you, trying to get your attention of, hey, look at me. Stay focused on me. Care about things in the world, but I am where your focus and your attention needs to be. And I believe this in Peter's life. That Peter needed to walk over the storm with Jesus. Even more than Peter needed Jesus to calm the storm. Peter needed to walk over the storm just as much as he needed Jesus to calm the storm. Because Peter doesn't go on record to say this, but I'm assuming that this moment with Jesus provided encouragement in his life for the rest of his life. That if this is the one who can walk me over and through the storms of life, this is the one who can carry me through the storms of prison, uh, being imprisoned, of persecution, of death, similar to Jesus. This is the one who can see me through it. They worship Jesus because Jesus is a storm destroyer. They worship Jesus because in Jesus we know that storms do not define us. They worship Jesus because it was obvious that the storm was hovering for a while, but Jesus would not be taken down by it. And in Psalm 22, that same cry Jesus had from the cross of, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That same exact psalm also goes on to say that I will declare your name to my people. And that generation after generation, that my ancestors, that our ancestors, they will put their trust in God. Which makes me think, when Jesus is quoting Psalm 22 on the cross, there is the part of, my God, my God, why do you forsake me? But Jesus also knew, even through this, I will declare the praise of my God. And even through this, for generations to come, they will put their trust in God. Because of what Jesus has done for us. So I want to give you a few moments just to write down. What is it you trust in? How are you going to express? How are you going to live radical trust in God in your life? Take a few moments to write that down. feel free to keep writing as this morning as we've expressed loss and emotion and questions and trust and we're about to sing two songs to declare our trust in God and as we sing them church I just want you to know this I want to encourage you lift up your head because you are not alone open your eyes because God is closer than you could ever imagine open up your hands and receive the hand of God And reach for God. And know that if you are too weary to reach for God, that God is reaching for you. Can we stand together? Let's sing these two songs. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea